0: Good morning. Happy Sabbath. That song was, uh, was a prayer, wasn't it? I'd like to continue um, by inviting you to bow your heads uh, with me. Father in heaven, this morning we claim the promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you were present there in the midst of them, and that means that you are present in our midst now. And We thank you for that promise, and we ask that we might be able to sense your presence and hear your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I'm going to begin with the biblical passage that will be our focus. It's a little bit of a longer passage, maybe, than would be usual. Uh, That means that we'll have to leave some things undiscussed. And I'm sorry if there's something, a favorite part of the passage that we don't even touch on. But as we work our way through, I'd like for us to notice at a minimum these four things. First of all, there's one do not that we'll spend a lot of time on. One, do not. There are then two things that we are to do. Two things to do. And then finally, at the end, a promise. So if you add those together, that's four things. One, do not, two things to do, and then a promise. And our Scripture passage is uh, found in the Gospel of Luke, the twelfth chapter. Luke chapter 12 will begin with verse 22. I should set the context here. Jesus is in the middle of talking about priorities, and He has just finished a parable about a man who hoarded wealth but was not rich towards God. Here's the passage, then Jesus said to His disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom, and these things." I said, seek first His kingdom. The text says, but seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. First, the do not, and it's right at the very beginning of the passage, isn't it? Fairly easy to spot. Do not worry. Do not worry. It's a do not that it seems to me we often almost ignore. Think of some of the other do nots in Scripture, even in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, several places, lists some things that we are not to engage in, right? He has some vice lists at various parts of uh, his letters. So he does not expect us to be greedy, right? Don't be greedy. Idolaters, is that a do or a do not? Be an idolater or do not do idolatry. It's a do not. Do not slander. Do not swindle. Do not gossip. Jesus also has a number of do not statements. In the book of Luke, the same book that we are, uh, our, our Scripture comes from, He quotes some of the Ten Commandments. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not give false testimony. In His Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks against swearing and lusting. He says, do not judge, do not condemn. And then there's the story, it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when people are bringing children to Jesus, and some trying to uh, try to stop the children from coming, and Jesus says, do not hinder them. I would suspect that so far, as I've gone through this list of do-nots, I would hope that you're all on board, aren't you? Like you're in agreement. Yes, these are things we should not do So imagine with me for a moment if we had met in the lobby this morning, and you had asked uh, me, Paul, how was your week? Imagine if I had said, that was kind of a rough week. Uh, I murdered somebody down in Pendleton this week. Paul, how was your week? Well, lots of slandering, condemning, judging others. I swore a lot this week, too. What would your response be? Paul, how was your week? Well, I committed adultery, and the rest of the week was filled with lust. I was in town giving false testimony, or I, was, I spent some time downstairs during Sabbath school time hindering the little children that were coming to Jesus. <laughs> if I was answering your sincere question sincerely, and I gave any one of those answers, I expect that you would have been Shocked, maybe horrified. But if you had asked Paul, How was your week? and I had said to you, You know, I've been worrying a lot this week about my life, wouldn't your response have been different? Oh, I'm sorry. You would have commiserated with me, perhaps, even though that acknowledgement, I've been worrying this week about my life is directly contrary to a command from our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, do not worry about your life. It's amazing to me, I spent some time reflecting on this, how inconsistent we can be in our commandment-keeping. The commands that we regularly disobey We excuse. We treat it as if, well, it's an idea or a suggestion. So when Jesus says, do not worry, well, of course, I mean, we all worry, but in kind of a dream some future day, hopefully we might worry a little bit less. I'd like for us this morning to feel the force of these words as a command, do not worry. I think it helps for us to feel the force of this statement from Jesus if we think about the context in which He spoke these words, Jesus living in first-century Palestine, which is quite different from our Walla Walla Valley here. Those that study these things, the scholars tell us that about 10 percent of the population was rich. They were well off. They had a surplus of food. They could decide what they were going to wear from day to day, about 10 percent of the population. And then there was essentially no middle class. The other 90 percent, poor, hand to mouth, not always sure that they would have food for the next day something as simple even as preparing food. Just a little glimpse into the first century world. Even if you had grain for bread, which was the staple, it took hours every day. It was considered women's work. It took hours every day for women to grind that grain to flour in order to make bread just for their family. And they were grinding the grain on semi-porous stones which meant that the flour would have grit in it, even the bread that you ate that you were thankful for, they tell us, would wear down people's teeth because of all the grit in their, in their bread. Scholars Molina and Rohrbaugh, in their social science commentary on the Synoptic Gospels, say that among the low-class people, and again, we're not talking about it just a tiny fragment of the population, among the low-class people, a majority of them died before they reached the age of 20. Ninety percent were dead by their mid-forties. Life was hard. Life was uncertain. Life was short. And it's in this context that Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry. Life is easier for us, at least in some respects. What is it that we worry about? I asked uh, my class, my Luke-Acts class, this week, we discussed this passage. Thank you, class, for your help. I asked them to list what are, you, what are the top worries that people have, and the list, not everyone came up with the exact same list, but these were the, the primary things that were mentioned. People worry about money, and health, and career, and their appearance, and their family. Wouldn't you agree these are the sorts of things that we worry about? Benedin, who I guess Benedin Health is a, a health care provider in the United Kingdom. And they conducted a survey just a couple years back in 2013, asking some 2,000 Brits about the issue of worry, and here's what they uh, concluded. The average person, and I'm quoting now, endures 14 hours each week weighed down with worry. On average, six nights out of the month, uh, our sleep is disturbed because we are worried about something. They also asked about the top worries, and I'll share with you just the top three, starting with the one in third place, finances. Second place, getting old. Third place, weight. It's ironic, isn't it? Jesus' audience was worried about food, and we worry about it also, but in a very different way, most of us. Why would Jesus say something like, do not worry? It seems such a human thing. Well, this is one of the things we don't have a lot of time to explore. But worry, by definition, is a non productive anxiety, non productive concern. It's a kind of circular concern for what might happen. Mark Twain, fairly well known quote from him, he said, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. A concern for what might happen. Right? Corey Ten Boom, wonderful quote Worry does not empty. She said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And yet, Mark Twain, Corey Ten Boom, Jesus, and yet still. And yet, still we worry. I don't know if anybody's discouraged at this point, right? Jesus gave a command, and we're disobeying it, and our lives are not even perhaps as difficult as his original audience. I think there's some good news here along the way. We move from the do not to the do. In the passage, Jesus says, consider the ravens and the flowers. Consider the ravens and the flowers. And I want to focus just for a moment specifically on the ravens. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of of a raven. They're smart birds, aren't they? Extremely smart. That whole family, the corvid family of birds. They plan, they play, they mate for life, they use tools, They can mimic human speech. You may have heard a raven speak even. They're scavengers. They'll eat just about anything. And Jesus says to His audience, consider the ravens. For His audience, I don't think any of these things I mentioned would be the thing that would come to mind first when Jesus said, consider the ravens. Likely they thought of a couple passages from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 11, I'm sorry, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. What's the problem with the raven? The Old Testament says that any kind of raven is detestable. It is an unclean animal. You are to detest any kind of raven, and Jesus says, God, is a bird feeder. He doesn't just feed the cute, the colorful, the friendly birds. No, the big, noisy, thieving, unclean, detestable birds. God feeds them. And the point, I think, is clear, isn't it, church? If God is a bird feeder, then He's also he also must be a people feeder. Big, noisy, thieving, gossiping, arrogant, unlovely, hypocritical, detestable people like you and like me. Consider the ravens. Don't worry. Consider the ravens. God feeds even them. You think He doesn't care about you as well. And God gives help. I'm convinced that God gives help. God provides in all kinds of ways. Every now and then we have an opportunity to witness that or to be a part of that. And it happened for me earlier this past school year. I was at a business uh, here in town, and after I paid my bill, the uh, proprietor, the owner of the business, knew that I taught here at the university, and he walked over to his desk and he picked up a few cards. They were gift cards to Andy's Market. And he said to me, he said, Paul, uh, students talk to you from time to time. When you come across a student that needs..." one of these, needs these, go ahead and pass them on. So I took them to my office, was grateful, it was a generous thing for him to do, took them to my office, but my office is not always well organized. And the stack of cards rather quickly got buried. And it's not often, in fact, really hardly ever has someone come into my office with the specific need for, for food. So I kind of forgot about the cards. They were under papers. And then it was spring quarter, into spring quarter, and I was sorting through some papers and I came across those cards. I put them on the top of my desk right by my keyboard. And I in my mind I was thinking, man, I wonder, maybe I should pass these on to, I don't know, maybe Dave Thomas, the dean of the School of Theology, or or someone else who might more regularly meet uh, with students who were needing food. I put them there on my desk. It was a day or two later, I had an appointment with a student, and he came through the door, graduating senior, and he walked through the door and he said, can you just please say something that would encourage me? He was a student that was putting himself through school. He had just a brutal academic schedule. He wasn't getting very much sleep. He had had a great job that then had ended unexpectedly through no fault of his own, and he said, I've budgeted out very, very carefully. He said, I've I've got enough money to last me to grad, he said, it goes right to graduation, but then I have no idea what's gonna happen to me next. And so we talked, we prayed together, and he stood up to leave, and you know, than what I did. It was fresh in my mind. I grabbed a couple of those cards. I told him the story. It's not from me. I'm just passing these along, gift cards to Andy's Market. And church, I wish you could have seen his face. He said, thank you. And then he said, this, you know what this means for me? He said, this means that between now and graduation, I will have the opportunity to eat fresh fruit and some fresh vegetables. God cares about the birds, even the detestable ones. He cares about us too, doesn't He? Do not worry. Consider the ravens, the flowers of the field. And now the second do that I'd like for us to reflect on, and it actually leads right into the promise, the second do. It's at the end of uh, the passage that we read, verse 31, seek the kingdom of God, but seek His kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Worry isn't resolved by resolving not to worry. Worry begins to fade as we are actively engaged in pursuing a higher and a greater calling. former colleague of mine, Bruce Johansson, I heard him tell the story, this little illustration about elephants. He said that when elephants are going through a village, the elephant handler will give them something to hold, a stick, something for them to hold with their trunk. Otherwise, as they go through the village, the elephant's trunk will be distracted and will go from side to side, knocking over fruit stand, stealing an umbrella. The elephant's trunk will find something unproductive to do, to dwell upon. Without a noble cause upon which to fix our minds, without responding to God's calling and seeking His will in our life, I believe that we too will easily get sucked into a life of very small worries. And this leads then to the promise. You heard it there, didn't you? But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Originally, I thought this was going to be the place I would stop, kind of with this final declaration. We have said, you know, don't worry, God takes care of us, seek His kingdom, and He'll provide us with what we need, right? Seems like a nice conclusion. But is it really true? If you're a good person seeking God's kingdom, do you always have enough to eat, or do good people sometimes starve? My sophomore year, after my sophomore year here, I worked uh, for the Adventist Development and Relief Agency in a refugee camp. And I've shared little bits and pieces of that experience uh, from this place uh, here before in church. Um, The life of the refugees was difficult. I taught uh, English because if they learned English, it increased their chances of being accepted as an immigrant to a new country. In the morning, we had our standard English classes. In the afternoon, we had a more informal Bible English class. We would read the Bible in English, talk about the language but then also discuss the content of what we read. And it was in this context that I became acquainted with a young man named Lee. He was actually a Khmer, but he and his family uh, had lived in Vietnam for some years. His father was an educated man and had been part of the previous regime, And so, with the coming of uh, the new leaders, uh, he was seen as a threat. He was shot. Lee's father was shot while seated in his own home. Lee told me that his father at various times as Lee grew up had told him, if you ever get a chance, Lee, find out what you can about Christianity. Lee said he didn't know even why his father had said that, but when he came to the refugee camp and he learned about the Bible English classes, he saw this as an opportunity. And so he came to class. He was quiet, sincere, thoughtful. Rarely did he speak up in class, but he would write me notes, questions about not just what we talked about in class, but other things that he had been reading in the Bible. I kept some of those notes, and I'd like to read one of them to you this morning. It's very brief. I read in Bible about birds. Why sometimes we working and try, but still needing foods and clothes. Aren't we worth more than birds? I'd like to go back to the text one more time, verse 31. Seek His kingdom, that's God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Is Jesus telling us the truth? What are these things? Seek His kingdom, these things will be given to you as well. What are these things? In context of the passage, food, clothing, the essentials of life. But it says these things will be given to you as well. So as well as food and clothing, the essentials of life, there's something else that is given. And what is it? seek His kingdom, the essentials will be given to you as well, I think the text is suggesting to us, as well as the kingdom. And I'll ask you another question today. What kingdom is Jesus speaking of here? Is it just an earthly kingdom? Is it just food and clothing? for the few years we may have here, or is He talking about another kingdom? And I think actually the next verse helps us out. I think Jesus is talking about an eternal kingdom. So moving now to the last slide, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You catch it, don't you? God says, well, let me put it this way. I want to read Lee's question one more time. Why? Sometimes we working and try, but still needing foods and clothes, aren't we worth more than birds?" Lee, if Lee was here today, I would say something like this, yes, it's true. Sometimes we work, we pray, we try, and we're still hungry. Hungry for food, hungry for love, we may still be poor, we may be abused, abandoned, we may be sick, weak, but if we seek the kingdom of God, it is given. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. With joy He promises the kingdom and treasure in heaven. So in that kingdom, church, are we promised life? Yes, eternal life. Food? Yes, a banqueting table. How about our body, transformed, made new, and clothing indeed, a robe and a crown? So then, church, since this is the case, don't worry about anything. Let's pray. Father God, we worry about everything, our country, our church, our health, our money, our salvation. We worry about the salvation of our children. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting You. You, who love us with a love deeper than we can even imagine, forgive us, forgive us for not trusting You with all these things. In Thy name we pray, amen.